Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry Jerome Brolin. Boy, I'm not in a good way today, Chuck. You off your game? As if you can't tell. I think you're fine. Well, thanks, man. I feel a lot better. Sure. Uh, yeah, no, I'm okay. I can tell you I'm I'm surrounded by friends, family. <laughs> like I know your dad's TV. in the corner. It's weird. I have I did. I have TV. <laughs> oh man, I Instagrammed a photo of my mom and dad. Oh yeah. From the seventies. Yeah. And um I captioned it. They're like looking at each other kind of lovingly. Uh-huh. And I captioned it um the moment before I was conceived. You know what? Jerry showed me that today. Oh, yeah? She did. I look a lot like my parents mixed together, huh? Well, the first thing I noticed was like, wow, that's that's what Josh would have looked like as a grown man in the 1970s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because that profile of your dad, I, I, I was, I don't know, I'd never seen your dad young. So I was like, man, that's really, that's you. Yeah. But I think yeah, I'm I totally actually... saw it. I saw both. Yeah. Yeah, because you look at my dad, you're like, oh, that's Josh. But then you look at my mom, you're like, oh, there's, there's Josh too. Yeah. Very bizarre. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I guess I, I definitely favor my father. Um, Is that sure. right? Yeah. yeah. So a lot of people just favor, favor one or the other, but I'm 50 50. Yep. That's what yeah. we call you, old 50 50. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's a new one. There's a t shirt. Yeah, 50 50 Clark. Um, so, uh, oh, I know the point I was making. There's this How Stuff Works article that you sent called The Man in the Hole. Mm-hmm. And it talks about this guy who is the last of his kind. He's, as as this article put it, like the loneliest person on earth. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure this is a lot like being in solitary confinement or something like that. But no, this is way beyond that. And this How Stuff Works article by uh, Jesslyn Shields, like really drove it home. She wrote like, what if you were the last person who could speak your language, the last person who remembered what Halloween was or a Coca-Cola <laughs> or that a dog says woof? Like, imagine that. And I'm like, yeah, that's way different from being in solitary. Solitary confinement would be bad enough. Mm-hmm. You know, you're physically restrained. But at least you know out there that there are other people who know the same things you know that speak the same language you speak, that your family's still out there, that kind of thing. This is utterly different. And this man, uh, the last tribesman he's called, or the man in the hole, is possibly not just the the last of his kind. He might be the only person on the entire planet in the situation that he's in. Maybe. Isn't that bizarre to think? Yeah. I mean, we did a... Uh... We did another show on Are There Undiscovered People quite a few years back. Mm-hmm. And a def, I don't know how he didn't get to this guy, but I saw this article and it, it was striking, especially if you've seen the couple of videos. And I think there are only two pieces of video of this dude. Uh, one I saw where they were sort of shooting, you know, they were zoomed in on a hut. And that's, uh-huh. you know, where he lives. There's a series of thatched huts in the uh, Tanaru Indigenous Reserve in the Rondonia state of Brazil. Yep. About 20,000 acres. Big area of the forest and jungle. 
So he lives in these thatched huts uh, that are scattered about in the middle of nowhere. And they were able to get him on film, kind of zoomed in between the cracks. And you see the guy kind of looking a little bit, but you can't make out much. So I saw that video. And then I saw another one where it was a pretty good shot of him from a distance making good work trying to chop down a tree. Mm, That was the most recent video. Right, which, uh, well, let's just go ahead and get into this. He okay. he was found or discovered in, I think, 1996 uh, when some loggers uh, from the state of Rondonia. Which, from the impression I have, this is a very rough-and-tumble state yeah. populated by loggers and cattle ranchers, and um, there are very few laws, from what I understand, and things are settled by the gun is the impression that I have of Rondonia. It's right smack dab in the middle of South America, and it's extraordinarily densely jungled in the Amazon. Yeah, I mean, that one New York Times uh, article, like the guy was talking, that they were talking to said, from a helicopter, you look down there, and you think there's just no one down there. It's just all jungle. He said, but when you get down there, he said, there's a lot of people and drug runners and bad men everywhere. So this guy is definitely an anomaly Mm-hmm. Uh, because he is not hanging out with anybody. No. And the reason why they think he's alone, Chuck, is because back in 1995, 1996, when the um, rumors of like a, a wild man in the jungle started to circulate, um, they think that he had he had just recently survived a slaughter yeah. that had killed off the rest of his tribe. Which was only like supposedly five or six people right. by that point. Because... They think the rest had been slaughtered, and that that's a common thing we're going to come up on in a couple of these is these ranchers and loggers, they're like, we want to go clear this land, and there's a tribe, a native tribe there, an indigenous tribe, so let's just slaughter them, yeah, get them out of the way. It's really, really an awful, awful thing. And it's been a, a very common thing, apparently, since the 70s and 80s when r- ranchers and loggers moved into Rondonia. Um, just snatching up land. And this is, again, this is the Amazon. This is basically pristine uh, forest, rainforest, that people who have never been contacted by any anyone from the outside world live still to this day. And this guy is one of them. So at first they thought maybe he was just a, a member of a, a tribe, Um that we already know about. Right. And then over time, as they started to study this guy, it became quite clear that, no, he was, he's a member of a tribe that we didn't know about before, and we're pretty sure he's the last of his kind. Yeah, so there's this organization called uh, <clears throat> FUNAI, F-U-N-A-I, the National Indian Foundation of Brazil. Mm-hmm. And they have been tasked with, for the past 20 years, monitoring this dude and before his companions were killed, monitoring his companions. And you sent a nice follow-up on FUNAI. They they have a few departments, and one is called the General Coordination Unit of Uncontacted Indians, Mm -hmm. the CGII. And that was established in 1987, and they're the only uh, department of government in the world which protects indigenous peoples who don't have contact with the outside world or nearby tribes. Yeah, because before in the like 19th century and even through a lot of the 20th century, there was 
It was just basically Christian missionaries who were making their way into the Amazon to contact tribes and bring them Jesus, basically, and also health care and food and all that stuff, tools, the implements of modern culture, but also to proselytize, too. And there was a lot of, um, it just wasn't very well thought out. And as a result, even even from these these the best of intentions that a lot of these missionaries had, a lot of tribes died. So in 1910, Brazil came up with their, um, I think it was like the Indian Protection Services was the name of the div- department that they first came up mm-hmm. with. And um, the Indian Protection Service, they took over from the missionaries, and it was a step up in that sense because it was more coordinated. There was thought to it. There was some sort of study. But the point was to take um, uncontacted Amazonian tribes and bring them into the modern world so that they could assimilate with the modern world. The point was to basically reduce cultural diversity in Brazil. Um, and that kept going until the 60s when there was a huge expose about the Indian Protection Service um, that they had just fallen down so terribly in their mission that there was basically mass extermination, slavery, rape, everything, every horrible thing that you can think of that could befall a, a human being happened to these tribes under the watch of the Indian Services Protection over 60 years. Yeah, so— uh the department in 19, uh, in 1987, the the G uh, CGII was founded by a man named Sidney uh, Pasuelo. I guess that's how you pronounce that. And this was a big sea change in policy, which was like you were saying, the previous strategy established contact to try and get them integrated at some point mm-hmm. uh, to this new policy, which was don't even contact these people unless they are under serious threat. Because yeah. history has shown all manner of bad things uh, can happen when you contact these people, um, one of which is certainly introducing them to new diseases right. and things that will kill them that they've never never seen or experienced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this is, you know, there's a big debate still on, like, what the best policies are here. Yeah, so these two um, American— anthropologists, white American anthropologists, um, men, who I guess wrote an open letter in either science or nature, I think nature, um, basically saying Brazil and Peru um, should reverse this this longstanding policy of, of not contacting Indians um, in the Amazon and should actually plan a peaceful, well-organized contact so that that they can be better protected. It's these anthropologist stance that if you don't protect them, they're going to die mm-hmm. one way or another, that there's no way that they're going to remain isolated on the, in the long term. Maybe you've got another generation possibly right. of some of these tribes that could live like this, but beyond that, it's just not going to happen. There's too many powerful interests banging on the doors of their preserved areas who are more than willing to hire people uh, who will accept money to go kill these people just to get this land. And by just leaving them alone, you're leaving them very vulnerable. Whereas if you if you plan out contact, then conceivably you can show them that there are things like medical treatment. There is easy, better ways that you can protect them. You can kind of give them contact. And that even more so, 
interviews with groups that have become, have initiated contact or have had contact made with them said, we would have made contact with you guys earlier, but we thought we were going to be enslaved or murdered or something. We had no idea that you wanted to actually help us. Had we known that, we would have contacted you guys decades ago. So those two things put together, these American anthropologists have said, we we endorse this. And FUNAI and a lot of other groups, including the UN and a, a, a human rights group in the UK called Survivors International, have said, um, no, that is totally disrespectful. That flies completely in the face of, of agreed upon procedure and protocol. Just be quiet. You're being neo-colonialists. Yeah, I think it's interesting, though, because what they're trying to do is, like you said, have very highly controlled contact and the assumption that they don't want to be contacted, uh, at least through their eyes, appears to be false because, like you mentioned, they're, they're afraid of being uh, kidnapped or something or overtaken. Mm-hmm. And if had they known, like, oh, you just want to give us some nice tools and maybe inoculate us, uh, and we, we'd actually be down with that as long as you leave afterward. Right. And these two anthropologists said, like, you've got to do this smartly. Like, you basically have to go in with cultural translators, usually um, tribes who have made contact with outsiders before, already established contact, that live in the same area, who might be able to to translate between the outsiders and the actual uncontacted tribes. And you need healthcare providers who are going to stay there for at least a year. You yeah. need a, at least a year of sustained care or else, yes, they're going to die from these diseases you're going to bring in inevitably. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're good. Uh, they give good examples, too, in that article uh, about how this has backfired with missionaries like uh, the Yor people. They were there for six months and the missionary said, well, let's, let's go on vacation <laughs> and then the Yora died a few weeks later. And then in 1975, uh, missionaries provided care to a community, an uh, Ake community. Uh, they took a vacation and then they died as well. So they're saying, like, you got to have a plan to go in and stay there. You right. can't just go in, bring them some food and machetes, inoculate and be like, them. Spring break. <laughs> And then, then get out of there. But I get the idea that this is still a pretty hot topic of debate. Oh, yeah. No, that those, those anthropologists, um, they they set off a huge debate. And I think it was sparked by the, um, the video that was released by Survivor International mm-hmm. of the man in the hole um, uh, chopping down a tree. And the video was taken in 2011, but they only just released it in July of 2018. Yeah. And I, this is, yeah, this is very much still going on, this big debate. And it's a huge, it's a huge issue. And you can, you can kind of see both sides. Like I had just read about Funai's um, counter to it that like, look, dudes, this is our thing. We got this. You just mind your own business. We have our own policy. Stay out. Right, stay out of this. Yeah. But then, if you read the anthropologist letters, you're like, actually, they they have a couple of good points here. So it's it's not a clear cut um, a picture one way or the other. It's it's definitely there's a lot of of nuance to it on both sides. All right, let's take a respite. <clears throat> let's take a furlough or a vacation. Yeah, and we'll come back and talk a little bit more about the man in the hole.
All right, so the reason they call him the man of the hole or the man in the hole is the odd thing of inside these thatched huts of which he has uh, several around this area. Inside the huts are these, and all over the place there are these holes with like spikes for like trapping animals. But Mm -hmm. he has these six-foot-deep holes inside of his own huts. And apparently no, no other tribes around him have done this, and it's very unusual uh, thing and the the belief is that he is it's for his own protection I guess if he's being fired upon or something by loggers he can jump down on one of these holes yeah that's the impression I have too which is extraordinarily sad it is so it, the reason why they think that um, that he has these holes is because he's had terrible run-ins I, I, I guess this this seems to be evidence that he he is the survivor of a slaughter or a massacre because this is not a normal technique that they've seen with other tribes um, and they found it at every single one of the huts that they've come upon of his yeah they they do know though from uh, tailing him or mon- tailing him monitoring him for the past couple of decades though that he he hunts with a bow and arrow he farms uh, probably at night and stays out of the, you know, as much as he can, stays inside during the day out of fear, Mm -hmm. which is also awful. Uh, Mm -hmm. But he farms like papaya and corn and other fruits and vegetables. Uh, He has all these traps set everywhere, like I mentioned. Um, They have found hand-carved arrowheads, uh, torches made from branches and resin. Uh, And at one point, they, they actually tried to make contact yeah, several points. Well, at one point when they when they tried to make contact, though, he he fired upon them with his bow and arrow and actually mm-hmm. hit someone in the chest. One of the Funai agents. Yeah, and they were like, all right, we're out of here. Yeah, at that point, they stopped trying to initiate contact with this guy. And again, this is like peaceful contact they're trying to initiate, not like, uh, hey, man, get off of this land. They're like saying, do you need anything? Do you want some food? What do you, what do you want? And... Uh, the first few attempts to contact him resulted in him just basically slipping into the shadows in the jungle and just disappearing. Um, then it progressed into standoffs. Then it progressed into a shooting. And so they stepped back, Survivor International and Funai and some other groups stepped back and said, this guy is escalating in hostilities. He's showing us he doesn't want anything to do with us mm-hmm. like I, you it, it would be something if like he'd shot the first time and then slipped away the second time and and the hostilities were decreasing but instead it's going the opposite way the hostilities were increasing so he's getting that he has the opportunity to contact these people who are coming with their hands up and like not trying to kill him and he's still saying back off so finally the government said we're just going to back off. And they backed off. They, they, Funai established this policy of not contacting this guy, not even attempting to contact this guy, but instead monitoring him, um, making sure that his preserve is um, protected, and then leaving him things like the axe that he was seen using in that 2011 video or seeds for some of the, um, the plants that he grows. Yeah, which a lot of times he doesn't even accept or take these gifts Mm-hmm. Uh, I imagine he's not very trusting. Uh, and like you said, as far as protecting the area in 2007, uh, Funai and the government um, eventually increased the area to 31 square miles around where he was is off limits to any trespassing or development. Later expanded to 3,000 hectares. 
So I think they added another 3,000 hectares. Oh, okay, to the already yeah. square mileage. Uh-huh. Uh, and this has really ticked off the the ranchers and the loggers because they're like, our business is being held by, back by this one guy. Yeah. And they want to kill him. To kill him. As a matter of fact, in, in when the government announced that it was not only keeping up the practice of uh, preserving this guy's land, 31 square miles, but adding an extra 3,000 hectares, which brought the total to 42 and a half square miles or 110 square kilometers mm-hmm. that this man has to himself. The five ranches that surround this preserve um, hired somebody to go try to kill him. Yeah. Funai went and checked on him after uh, a couple weeks after that announcement was made public, and they found that their outpost was ransacked and that um, they had found uh, shotgun shells, spent shotgun shells yeah. in the forest floor. So there's clearly an attempt to made on the, made on the guy's life. And for a couple of years, they had no idea if he'd survived until that video was made in 2011 that showed this guy who was now 50. They'd been tracking him since he was in his 30s. Yeah, he's in his 50s now. Um they, chopping they down a tree, yeah, chopping down a tree like it's nothing. So they knew that he was alive and in good health as of 2011, uh, and they're assuming that he's still alive. Man, how good would a movie be about this guy? I know. Just have a lot Do of you, it play out in silence, you know? Yeah, that would be amazing. That would be cool. I mean, it's it's crazy to see a video of this guy from seven years ago, like in the world we live in, mm-hmm. to think about there's still places on Earth where this guy, it's almost like the Japanese straggler right. who had no idea that the war had been over for, whatever, 30 years living in the jungle. Yeah. Uh, it's just amazing to think about the fact that this is the lone the lone guy out there by himself and what his life must be like. But not not only that, it's like, I, like when I when, when we did the paramedics episode, I think I said something like there's there's no greater symbol of humanity than paramedics, mm-hmm. you know? I think this is another really great symbol yeah, of humanity. Paramedics and this that, guy. <laughs> that, well, well, no, the 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 Funai, oh, the sure. Brazilian government's response to this. That yeah. this man has been has been part of a tribe. He's the last of his tribe, and the Brazilian government has said this man deserves to live his life out in peace in the way that he wants to, in his traditional way, to be left alone. And we're going to designate 110 square kilometers that belong to no one but this man. Yeah. Despite the fact that all around him is it's the outside world trying to press in, we're going to stand in the way of that so that this guy can live out his natural life. That just gets me, you know, right in the breadbasket. Yeah, I think the Disney version of this movie is they would find a, uh, a lone tribes woman somewhere. Mm-hmm. Drop her off and have them right. have them meet right. cute by the papaya tree. Yeah, and the uh, the ranchers want to tickle him. <laughs> but if it were live action, this, these days it would be um, they would hire either John Wayne or Fisher Stevens to play the last. <laughs> Fisher Stevens. <laughs> yeah, remember he played the Indian programmer in Short Circuit. Really? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, yeah. That was as recently as the 80s. Right. It's not like Mickey Rooney playing an Asian man in the 1960s. <laughs> yeah. Not like that was any better. No. Boy, Hollywood. Yeah. They've been getting it wrong for so long. They have. At least Mongol got it right, though, right? <laughs> uh, maybe. Yeah, we haven't seen it I'm yet. I'm not even sure. Reserve judgment. Uh, should we take another break? Yeah, we should. All right. We'll take another break and talk a little bit more uh, about some of these um, isolated tribes right after this. 
Okay, Chuck. So the the last tribesman, the the um, the man in the hole, he's being left alone, and that's policy in Brazil and Peru, from what I understand mm-hmm. now. Um, there are some tribes that have actually um, accepted contact and have made peaceful contact and have become. Um, uh, I guess a little more integrated. I think there's three degrees that Funai s- separates tribes into, indigenous tribes into. There's totally uncontacted, which is like they are living off on their own. The outside world has nothing to do with them. There's um, partially contacted or partially assimilated. So they get where, emails. <clears throat> right. Like they, they're, they're living in their hut in the jungle, but they still have uh, an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then there's fully assimilated where they like live in a city now or something like that, or they have like a job in the city or something like that. Um, so it's not just in the Amazon. It's not just in Brazil where there are uncontacted tribes, although that is definitely the the place where you're going to find the most. I think I saw somewhere between 50, 80 and 120 uh uncontacted groups of indigenous people are presumed to be living in the Amazon still today. Yeah, I mean, just those that random swath of numbers shows you that they, there's still so much they don't know. For sure. But there's there are other parts of the world where there are uncontacted tribes. Um, and you found an article that, that ran down a few of them. One that surprised me was just um, off the coast of India. On Sentinel Island in India, yeah. North Sentinel a Island. A good old cracked article, which may have been done under the watch of our now colleague, Mr. Jack O'Brien. Nice. Shout out to Jack and his daily Zeitgeist, uh, Zeitgeist podcast. Yeah, which I was on. Have you been on yet? So I haven't been on. You got to be on. I know. It's great, great fun. As a matter of fact, I'm going to lap you. I'm going to go on again. Oh, well, <laughs> please do. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, but the Sentinelese... Uh, on North Sentinel Island, India, and they don't even know if that's their real name. They just call them that because mm-hmm. uh, I guess we have called it North Sentinel Island. Not you and me, but other people who named it. <laughs> I think the British. But apparently, yeah, probably. Uh, we don't know a lot about them, but in 2006, a couple of fishermen uh, drifted there in their boat uh, near the island and were killed and buried in shallow graves. And helicopters came, and they were like, we got to find this burial site and get these guys back at least. And they started firing arrows at the helicopter, and it was just out of there. And the local cops were like, no, nah, we're, we're just going to leave those guys there. We're not, we're not going near it. They have, actually. For, this, is a, this has been going on for a very long time. Apparently, Marco Polo um, remarked on them, wrote about them. He was traveling, I think, the 12th or 13th century. So they've been fierce for years now and apparently survived the 2004 tsunami. Yeah. The Ind- Indonesia tsunami. That's crazy because this is an island that the tsunami just swamped and they, they managed to hang on just fine. I think ancient people have survived more than one tsunami, you know. I guess you're right. Back through the years. That was a pretty bad one, though. Yeah, pretty amazing. Uh, this other one, the uh, Koro Wai tribe of Papua, mm-hmm. Indonesia – uh, they were contacted in the 70s by, of course, uh, missionaries and archaeologists, and they were using stone tools and living in tree huts and stuff like that. And their big belief as a tribe was that the world would be destroyed by an earthquake if they 
assimilated and changed their customs. So missionaries said, all right, you know what? We're just going to leave you alone. I, want, I think these people might have invented um, uh, bungee jumping. Do you remember oh, that yeah. land diving episode? Is that them? They sound really familiar. I think it might be. Maybe so, but they are in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a long way from even like other remote villages, which is a I mean that's a that's a mark in your favor for now. But as the the Amazon basin has been showing us since the seventies and eighties, so much of it has disappeared due to clear cutting for um, ranching, logging. Um, the the that how you just have no idea how much longer that's going to hold up, no matter where you are in the world. Yeah. I mean, we're at seven and a half billion people now, and in the, I think the next thirty years we're expected to hit ten billion. That's a lot more people that not only need more land, but also are going to be using up those resources that 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 are currently on that land right now. You know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like if they discover oil where the Korowai t- tribe lives in Indonesia, there goes that isolation. You know? Yeah, probably so. And I think that's a that's a real danger for all tribes. I think that's probably what those two anthropologists were talking about. Um, they're saying, like, long-term, we need a plan here, everybody. We can't just be like, well, we just won't contact them because it's just not viable, I think was their point. Yeah. Uh, what about the—this one really was interesting to me, the old believers. Have you ever heard of them? Yeah. There's, like, some GQ article in the last couple of years about them. Are they well-dressed? <laughs> I think so. In burlap, apparently. Yeah, these are Soviet. Uh, well, here's the deal. In 1978, there were these geologists in the Soviet Union that were looking for iron ore. Uh, they were in a helicopter, and they saw mm-hmm. a cabin way out in the remote areas of Siberia. And they found a family there that actually spoke a language, I guess. I mean, what would that be? What language? Uh, old-timey Russian? <laughs> Old-timey Russian. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and they were were huddled in fear, and they were yelling, this is for our sins. They were dressed in burlap and living off the land. And apparently they were a group of people called the Old Believers, which left the Russian church, the main Russian church in the 17th century, mm-hmm. and had been, uh, I guess, looked at, you know, they kind of went everywhere. It was a, sort of a diaspora for the old believers, some of them just went to other countries mm-hmm. and seeking asylum or whatever. And apparently some of them just looked to Siberia and were like, no one's there, so we'll go there. Nice. It sounds creepy, it's, though, the old believers. Oh, yeah, that's a terrible name for them. You know, it seems like they could scan you or something, make your head <laughs> explode. Or they worship Cthulhu or something. Yeah. So um, I almost feel like we should look into them a little more because I think they could probably hold up their own episode. I think you might be right. I also remember hearing about families that lived in the Ozark Mountains in um, the Midwest of the United States, um, I think around Arkansas, that had been out of contact, didn't even know the Civil War had happened. What? They were just that isolated. Wow. So, yeah, you tend to think of it as just strictly indigenous peoples and that it's just in the Amazon. But, like, there's there's groups all over the world. It's fewer and further between outside of the Amazon because there's less um, unpopulated areas. But they, it happens. And, and one of the sad things about all of this is uh, for one of these other tribes, that you know, you can go read this cracked article. Uh, what's it called? 
I didn't see the title, actually. It was just suddenly there were, oh, five isolated groups who had no idea that civilization existed. <laughs> correct, correct lists were always so great, are always so great. They've come in handy from time to time. Uh, but one of the sad things I point out for one of these other tribes is that in Peru, and I, I imagine in some other uh, South American countries, there are these awful things called human safaris where and it, they will take tourists around to, like, look at uncontacted tribes from afar or, and right. close up. They're like, here, drain some of this ayahuasca through your nose and we're going to go check out some, some tribes hanging out on a riverbank somewhere. Man, so weird. Uh, well, I want to add one more thing. I came across an article that wasn't really apropos of what we were talking about uh, called The Right to Kill on Foreign Policy mm -hmm. magazine. And it's about like this other tangential issue that governments like Brazil have to deal with which is like some of these uh, isolated groups practice things that the, the outside world finds abhorrent or is illegal in the outside world, um, specifically in this article, infanticide. Uh, if you're born with a disability, and I think about 20 uh, of, Am of uh, Brazil's isolated tribes, there's a chance that the community will decide that you need to die. It's, it, again, it's the practice of infanticide. And Brazil's like, oh, we are not quite sure what to do about this because our constitution guarantees everyone in Brazil the right to live, but it also guarantees the indigenous groups the right to live according to their customs. So they have no idea what to do. And it's a big thing about, you know, moral relativism or moral absolutism and which one's correct uh, and it's really interesting that they're having to think about this right now. Yeah, for sure. It's a really interesting article, definitely worth reading. Okay? I will check it out. Are you talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking <laughs> to everybody, but specifically you, yeah. All right. Um, well, if you want to know more about isolated tribes, you can look those words up anywhere on the Internet, and they're going to deliver you some amazing stuff. And since I said that, it's time for Listener Mail. Since you said amazing stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, well, looky here, dude. I have a handwritten letter on construction paper. Beautiful. Isn't that nice? Yes. I love it. Hey, guys. Uh, I hope this finds you well. My name is Claire, and I'm 21. In fact, for my 21st birthday, I came and saw you guys live in Cleveland. Awesome. That was a great show. It was. I go to Hiram College, and I'm studying mathematics with a license in uh, education. So I'll be teaching high school math been a fan since 2015 thank you for the many nights uh you have calmed me and all the information i've learned and i've been wanting to write for a while just to say thanks uh and send appreciation but also a request and a little okay. something all right. uh whenever you talk about math in any regard please be more please, positive please stop getting it wrong <laughs> please be more positive and encouraging uh we're well known for poo-pooing math and saying i hated math well, it's so intimidating. It's just so stupid. It is. But she says this. <laughs> math is hard and already has a stigma for people who hate it uh, or to hate it. But as a future educator, uh, since you two are sort of educators require that reach a huge audience, your outlook and attitude about math is important. It's okay to not like math and think that it's hard, uh, but know that you and anyone can do math. I know it's a silly thing to ask and point out, but I think uh, you could both... Has a, have a positive impact on the math stigma. I uh, wish you and your wives and Chuck, your daughter, all the best. Thank you for all of your hard work. And thank Jerry, too. Uh, Jerry has to put up with you two all the time, so she's definitely been working hard. And yeah. she writes, sarcasm, smiley face. 
Okay. Have a fabulous day. And that is from Claire. And uh, Claire, you're right. We just joke around, but we, we should take more care with our words about the maths. Uh, you know what? Frankly, Chuck, I think Miss Claire makes a great point that we should just basically take all the jokes out of our podcast entirely. No, no. Just so no one get, takes it the wrong way. No. Just make it nice and neutral. No. She is right, though. She is right. We should take it easy on math. She very nicely said, back off math. <laughs> yeah. Like, did she draw a little Yosemite Sam at the bottom there? She did. Look oh, at yeah. Look at that. Nice. Uh, well, if you want to get in touch with us like Claire did, you can go to your local post office. We love that place. And you can also instead go to the internet, go to stuffyoushouldknow.com, find all of our social media links there, or you can send us a newfangled electronic mail by addressing it to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 